everyone knows that confidence is everything. You simply won't get far without it. And it's not only in football, but with anything else in life. It's why Penske gives you as much confidence as possible when you're moving. How does Penske do that? They do it by offering newer, cleaner, and safer trucks so that whether you're moving across the country or even just across town, Penske Truck Rental will help you move with confidence. So check them out so that you can get the newest, cleanest, and safest trucks to help you move at Penske Truck Rental. to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Happy Wednesday to you, the loyal listeners, uh, all of you who are subscribed. We like to thank you. If you haven't, uh, go ahead and get out there and subscribe. It's it's free subscription, free delivery. That's that's way better than any kind of uh, membership that you could get anywhere else. These podcasts come to you, Barton Simmons. How are you doing, my man? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Inching closer to game week to to or to the weekend. Um, yeah, we appreciate all the subscribers. Throw us a five-star review or give us some – even if it's negative feedback, just throw a five-star review on it and give us some negative feedback and we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, make, it, we'll make it better. How about that? If, if you give a five-star review and offer constructive criticism, I promise you that that constructive criticism will be taken into consideration. Is that fair? Yes. Consider that locks. All right. Uh, we've Before we get to the Dodfather, uh, who will be coming up here in just a little bit, uh, two m- – Two sort of business items slash uh, look-aheads that I want to talk about, and the first of which has to do with Ohio State and TCU. Um, this is going to be the final time that Ryan Day is the interim coach for Ohio State, so I wanted to at least, you know, it's not like he's going to fade from consciousness. Certainly the Ohio State offense, of which he is the coordinator, is a very big key to Ohio State making a case uh, for the college football playoff and as one of the best teams in the country, so... I wanted to at least say, all right. So how do we how do we grade this? How are we going to, uh, you know, give uh, some sort of final analysis of what this Ryan Day tenure of sorts has been? So I'll just start it open ended. Barton, what is what stood out to you, or what do you think the lasting impact of this opportunity has been? Uh, I don't think. I, I think it depends on this weekend. I think it's all about this weekend. So wow, he's blown out the two teams that he's faced, and that's what Ohio State does, and he's done it hey, in an impressive fashion. They've looked more more diverse offensively. They've looked more competent downfield. Obviously, that's a big, you know, the primary reason for that is they've got a quarterback that's more capable in that regard. But, you know, I, I, if, if, if he goes out this weekend and just, you know, boat races TCU, well, to me, that's a pretty – big statement and I think like I, I look back and I wrote this in and for, for CBS today as I look back and I think about Lincoln Riley and and Lincoln Riley had a little more I guess sex appeal than Ryan Day at this point in his tenure when he was at Oklahoma he sort of he totally totally transitioned the offense into this, this sort of explosive wide open attack um, well, also Lincoln Riley, we remember him from college football. Didn't Ryan Day play for Chip Kelly at New Hampshire? It's not like we were out here watching right. New Hampshire football, right? So, but I, I think where I'm getting at here is it's hard to imagine this, and it's it sounds blasphemous to say it, but is there a world where where Ryan Day is sort of better for Ohio State than Urban Meyer? Mm. Given given the the tarnish on Urban Meyer, given how that might, in fact, impact recruiting. We don't. I don't think we know yet. Maybe it's a not. Maybe it's a non-factor. And maybe Urban Meyer just is just keeps on chugging, bringing in top two classes nationally. But I think Ryan Day appears to be a coach that gives them more explosiveness and more sort of like leeway to attack defenses vertically to, to I don't know expand the offense it's just Ohio State's offense has looked very similar to Urban Meyer for a long time and I kind of hold it against Urban Meyer 
that he was unwilling to budge on sort of the loyalty uh, a plan a guy like JT Barrett who was not the most talented quarterback in the room for a lot of his career at Ohio State frankly right um and yet he sort of clung to that loyalty despite the productivity and and you know there's some irony there considering like that's what got him in trouble on his coaching staff um have you made that point before I threw a line in there in my story hmm. but I think that that's a, that, yeah maybe it's something that needs to be expound expounded on but I, look, point being is at this point we don't really know with Ryan Day, right? But I do think if he goes out there and just and they look like, like the best team in college football and and you know beat the doors off of TCU, then what? Like I don't know. Like maybe there is a world and where like I don't know. A lot of people laughed at the idea that Oklahoma would be better with Lincoln Riley. I don't think and, anyone's laughing about that now. No, heck no. It was the best thing for Oklahoma in retrospect, and and even acknowledging the fact that Bob Stoops was still at the top of his game and was still capable of of leading Oklahoma at a really high level. I still think we're you know hey we're only a year into to Lincoln Riley, but the the suspicion is that Lincoln Riley probably is a better you know is, is Ohio, Oklahoma's better off for having Lincoln Riley as a head coach. So I've just sort of thought about this. And just sort of wanted to explore the idea that hey, may, maybe just maybe Ryan Day is, is actually a better, you know, is, is has some Lincoln Riley in him, um, and I think we find that out at least get a better feel for how realistic that is based on what happens this weekend in, in Texas. We had heard reports about the offers that Ryan Day had after the 2017 season to go coach elsewhere. What is your you know, as you play out the thought experiment, what is the the leverage, if any, that Urban Meyer has to prevent that from happening again, whether it's a, another college program or whether it's even like an NFL OC job where if you're Ryan Day, you know, is is that going to be something that's, that's more attractive to you, especially after uh, how tumultuous things have been through this point under Urban Meyer? I don't think he has any leverage if... Uh if Ryan Day gets an opportunity. I mean, he he turned this like he made a surprising decision turning down. Now look, it was reported. I don't I don't know how but it appears that Ryan Day had an opportunity to be the offensive coordinator of the Titans. And it appears he turned that down. And the you know, the buzz was that look he had promised Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer hires guys under the premise that they will give him at least two years. And he would wanted to fulfill that that second year for Urban. And so I think after this season Look, it's the door's wide open. I mean, he's going to have opportunities, and look, I think he shouldn't take any old opportunity. But he is certainly in a position this weekend to prove that he's uh, a high-level candidate for head jobs and and coordinator jobs at every level. I don't know about you, Barton, but uh, I've been through some nightmare moves when everything went wrong, and when you're moving, anything can happen. Uh, it's it's just like a college football game where nothing is a guarantee. And that's why Penske Truck Rental, they know this, and they arm customers with the confidence to be able to handle things that you can control. They do this by offering newer and cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Nothing leaves the shop from Penske Truck Rental without a multi-point inspection. Plus, you'll get unlimited miles on one-way moves. Unlimited miles on one-way moves. So if something unexpected, you know it's always around the corner. You know it's bound to happen. But with Penske Truck Rental, you'll get the confidence that you can handle it. And now it's time for Teams on the Move, brought to you by Penske Truck Rental. And our team on the move right now for week three is going to be the Boise State Broncos. They are traveling to Stillwater this weekend to take on Oklahoma State. It's a top 25 matchup, and it presents for Boise State an unbelievable opportunity to go and score a road win against a Power 5 team, a respected Power 5 program, and to do so, that would then elevate Boise State's status in the race for the New Year's Six. But also, if you want to zoom out a little bit more, if Boise State wants to get back into its BCS buster role here in the playoff era, this is an, a must-win for them. So, Barton, as we turn our attention to Boise State, I, I I think that what we have seen from the Broncos thus far has done nothing but check the boxes that this is going to be a Mountain West 
championship type team the question that I have now is whether or not you trust this team so far to be able to go and get the win in Stillwater right and 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 Boise State like they returned 10 starters off a really good defense last year and sometimes I look at them this year and I, and I kind of question all right how athletic are they really like are these guys re- can they really keep up with say the sort of talent that Oklahoma State's throwing at them um I think that they're so well coached and they're so disciplined that it may not matter. But I think the bigger confidence builder for me for Boise State is the other side of the football. Like they've their score their their offensive possessions, 77% of their offensive possessions have ended in either a touchdown or a field goal attempt. And they've missed one field goal, so they've scored on 16 of 22 offensive possessions. Damn. That's a pretty ridiculous number. That's efficiency. They got one of the. I mean, Brett Rippin looks as comfortable and confident in his system offensively as anyone in the country. You know, they've got Sean Monster and, and and C. T. Thomas on the outside look like talk about the you know the athleticism question marks defensively that I have. Like I don't really I don't see that on offense. I see guys that can go on offense, and so this is a team that's just. I mean. They, they, this is a great opportunity this weekend to go and play an Oklahoma State team that's that's not lacking for talent either, um, and kind of make a statement. And if they do it, like I think that they could. I mean, they're all of a sudden like a legit UCF sort of Group of Five team that is can can make a a really significant dent in in you know the college football heavyweight division. Yeah, and I think that it it probably because we're dealing with humans and because we're dealing with a selection committee of college football fans. I think that you've got an advantage that UCF didn't have because of precedent, because of what Boise state, both under Brian Harson, but also under Chris Peterson, because of the, the reputation that has been built by the Broncos. Uh, I think that you are going to see the reaction to that happen quicker. I think you're going to see it happen faster. And this is, you know, beating a ranked Oklahoma State team is different than what UCF had. Its best win or its only win against Power 5 competition last year was against Maryland. And so I think that Boise State has a better chance to be in the mix and make a move up in in the rankings and the polls uh, because of what we're used to seeing from them in the past. I agree. Yeah, and I also do think we win or lose this game, I think early in the season, and they haven't played anybody, but Oklahoma State is proving to me that this is still this is still a Mike Gundy team. This is still a team that's probably ten and three when the dust settles at the end of the year. And um, and if they are ten and three, or even not, I mean, if, if they're that kind of team that's contending in the Big Twelve, and 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 Boise's got this, this W on their their resume, that's going to be to your point uh, one of the better resume builders that we've seen in the group of five in a couple of years so uh i think this is a this is a, is a special game coming up and, and and boise state's got a chance to make a pretty big splash that's teams on the move brought to you by penske truck rental remember penske truck rental they get you the cleanest the safest trucks multi-point inspection and, and what kind of miles on one-way trips that's right unlimited miles on one-way trips all right barton you ready to bring in the dodd father let's get it on The magic bullet they now have in their holster, which they will apply. Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh make a combined 20 million this season. Those two guys alone will make 13 million more than the entire Mac. That's right. You hear the sound. That means that the Dodd father is in the house. Dennis Dodd, senior college football columnist for CBS Sports, joining us here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Dennis, you've been a road warrior uh, through two weeks. I think you've already uh, totaled more college campuses than most journalists get to an entire season. Uh, you have been to, and I'm not. This is. I hope I'm not limiting you here, but I know that you were at the the Notre Dame Michigan opener. Uh, you were at Texas A&M Clemson. In the meantime, you also got to Texas. You also got to TCU to spend some time with Gary Patterson. Uh, how is your head? How are your airline miles? How are your bonus points on the hotels? Oh, they are all inflated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, my head's not inflated. I don't know. It, it, it's not that. Maybe it is, but um, no. It's uh, it's just the beginning. This is great. Uh, the more the more you can see of these teams and programs, the better. And there's something, as you guys know, 
there's something about being there, um, just in terms of evaluating teams and talent and everything else. And I, I, we just talked about this. I used the example of that play Saturday night at A&M, the touchback play. I was right there in the end zone on the sideline watching it. And it, it didn't turn out in the moment. It was a big deal, but it hasn't lingered. I really thought that was out of bounds. It wasn't a touchback, but be that as it may, here we are. Well, let's start right there in College Station. Yep. What was your, you know, what were some of your big takeaways about what things are looking like behind the scenes here at the beginning of season one of the Jimbo Fisher era? I think that was half the story uh, on Saturday night. You know, the first half is okay. How did Clemson look? You know, they had to struggle with this team they were supposed to beat by two touchdowns. But the other half was I thought that a case can be made that A&M has arrived sooner than expected under Jimbo. Um, they gave Clemson every, everything they wanted. I thought, I, I thought it was a weird game to try to explain because, you know, A&M had 500 yards. That's the most since Lamar Jackson threw up 578 on that defense in 2016. But it was Lamar Jackson. Right. This was Kellen Mond. And so I'm sitting there looking, and, you know, this vaunted defensive line produced six quarterback hurries, uh, whatever, you know, multiple sacks, uh, tackles for loss, two forced fumbles, recovered them both, three fumbles, recovered two. And if you just look at the numbers, it was a typical game for that defensive line. But Texas A&M always seemed to be to be able to make a play. Uh, and I used for the example A&M's last touchdown. Uh, with 46 seconds left, with got it to two. Kellen Mond was was flushed. He turns around, desperation throw, goes right through the strong safety, uh, Kavon Wallace's arms into, I think it was Kendrick Rogers caught the ball. And all credit to him. But, I mean, it was right through his hands. It wasn't tipped. And he was frustrated after the game. And he said, I should have had four interceptions tonight. And so it was that kind of game. They just I'm not saying AM was lucky. It was just like they just kept making plays to their to their uh to their credit. So I think that AM I think has a lot to look forward to under Jimbo. I've been to a lot of those games, or maybe a you know, at Kyle Field. Maybe AM does it, you know, maybe they break through. Well, the last time I went to one of those games, 2015, in Alabama ran back three pick sixes, two by Minka Fitzpatrick. And that was, that really decided, you know, like Kyler Murray, uh, you know, I'm out of here. Those two quarterbacks, uh, that game, because it was just mishandled the way they use it. But I, I think, I think there's something to hang your head on now at AM. I think they're going to be a lot better. So do you think that that is a product of Jimbo Fisher just being that good of a coach? Is this a product of A&M, having more talent than we gave them credit mm-hmm. for what where do you think the balance lies here and sort of how, how to recalibrate our expectations yeah i don't think they're there talent wise because i thought before the game they'd lose by three touchdowns i i kept telling people they're not ready to win this game and i was wrong they were they were ready to win this game they just hung in there uh jimbo i think a thing that got overlooked last week in the run-up is Jimbo's one of those quarterback gurus he's a guy don't forget you know Jameis winston was his guy uh, the list of quarterbacks that have played under him. Um, includes Christian Ponder. Yeah, of course. It yeah, includes Christian yeah, well, Ponder. Well, he, he squeezed all the juice out of him, yeah, too. Yeah, that's so. true. Uh, but Kellen Mond, a, uh, you tell me, Barton, I think three or four star committed to Baylor uh, and then switched to A&M and was, was I don't know, was just a guy. It certainly didn't have a spectacular freshman season. And was kind of a surprise that he won the job in August, but in the last – scrimmage in August, late August, had, uh, I guess, completed 80% of his passes. And people who saw it were saying, he has changed Kellen Mond. Um, Kellen Mond got the job because of that and because he can run. He can scramble. You saw it. You're not going to beat um, – you're not going to beat Alabama and uh, Clemson in September uh, with a pocket quarterback. And that's a lot of the reason he was picked. But, no, I, I, I think his uh, quarterback whisper – uh, duties or his abilities really got him going with Kellen Mond. Yeah, K- Kellen Mond, I actually wrote this for today mm-hmm. on CBS as a note in one of my notebooks. I mean, Kellen Mond was a really highly re- regarded, highly recruited quarterback, but his accuracy wasn't the reason why. Mm-hmm. He no. was a long way away on that front, and he's made really rapid strides. I, I think um, 
my, my next really kind of question for you, Dennis, given where you've been here recently, haven't hit Texas, haven't hit Texas A&M. Man, it just feels like those two programs are on totally different levels in terms of the optimism, the sort of um, vibe around the program right now. Grant, look, this is one game for Texas A&M, but you know, Texas hung around there and, and, and barely beat Tulsa. They lost to Maryland. This looks, feels like another year. Yeah. And then when you listen to like Tom Herman's press conferences versus the Jimbo Fisher press conference, like I'm just curious where you felt having been on both campuses, the vibe is around both programs. Do you think Texas is close? Do you think the A&M is that much, has, has really kind of overtaken Texas in terms of that in-state rivalry? Where, where are you at on, ter- on that front? You put it perfectly. I'm glad you mentioned that because – all the energy is surrounding A&M. And if you think that that rivalry doesn't matter with Texas and A&M, you know, not playing each other anymore, you're mistaken because they're constantly compared. I saw the best game day sign I saw Saturday was, I don't know if you guys saw this. It said there are more W's than the alphabet than Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was really good. Uh, But yeah, having, there's just more energy. I was at that with, Tom Herman's press conference on Monday, and it was like a library. There was no, it was very quiet. Uh, Tom Herman, the guy, this guy, this Mensa member, this genius, this guy brought so much energy. Very tone, you know, very very low tone. Everything measured. Um, big game. You you would hardly know it's a big game week against USC. And frankly, both teams being one and one, it's you know some of the steam's been taken out of it. But the ninth question of the press conference was from Chip Brown. We all know Chip Brown um, down there. Uh, and he said, how do you respond to fans thinking you're arrogant and aren't accountable when things go wrong? And I went, whoa, where did he kind of went, where did that come from? And he answered it. He answered it perfectly. He just said, I love our fans, blah, blah, blah. Mac Brown told me that, you know, the best thing about coaching Texas is every, everybody's interested. The worst thing about Texas coaching Texas everybody's interested okay and so he handled it perfectly but where did that come from can you imagine somebody asking Nick Saban that now they never would because they're winning but I just thought boy the difference between both programs is just total uh A&M spent half a billion dollars renovating its stadium Texas is just getting to that point I think they're spending 180 million but I don't know if they've broken ground yet so no it's it's A&M's going to overtake them again if they haven't already Wow. Have we have we underestimated the weight of the coaching job at that program in Texas? And maybe it, like do we think the weight of those two jobs is different? And if so, like maybe is is that why Jimbo Fisher's having success cuz he can handle that weight? I mean, look, again, we're talking two games in the year. But I'm just like how how could how do you reconcile yeah. the the struggles at that Texas program right now? I, I can't. Yeah, I can't. I mean, it's been now almost it's been nine years. And like Florida, they haven't had a quarterback. Um, they keep falling backward. I mean, A&M went out and Texas did, too, went, went and got the best guy on the board at the time. So what does that mean? Um, you know, A&M is, is ahead right now. And I think they're going to be ahead. They, they play in a, a much tougher division. Uh, but Texas plays everybody in the big, t- in the big 12. So I, I was stunned when I, I looked this up the other day because these two programs, Texas and USC now I'm talking about, I think they've had, I'm trying to look it up here since two, this is 2013 guys, 2013. So uh, Texas is part of this. Texas and USC have combined to employ eight head coaches and six ADs. Uh, Texas is still looking for the replacement to Colt McCoy from 2009. USC has had four quarterbacks drafted, none lower than the fourth round. Texas, I don't even know if they've had a quarterback drafted. So just in that comparison, you can see. And I, I don't know what the answer is there. They've got everything. They've got money. They've got facilities. They've got a following. And they ju- and then they lose to Maryland again. I don't get it. What's your uh, read on that USC-Texas game this weekend? Uh you know, it's interesting. I it, I think it's kind of a push because I don't know how USC is going to react 
coming across country after scoring three points at Stanford. And I just don't know where Texas heads at are right now. They didn't show up for Maryland. They, they quit playing and let Tulsa back in the game. You know, is I guess I'd have to favor Texas, but I don't have much faith. I, I, I know Sam Ellinger's upside. I think there's JT Daniels has a, a lot more upside. Yeah. But that's not the again. That's not the strength of either either team. I think the defenses are the strength of both teams. Believe it or not. So, I, I guess Texas because they're at home. But it's just it just saddens me that this game. You know, remember last year when it was oh they're renewing the the game from two thousand five. There's just absolutely no buzz about it this week. Didn't you uh, write the oral history for it? Yeah, yeah. I went back and looked at that again. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> they were. Uh, well, they've they've got what. Uh, I saw in, in the promo package, they're able to at least take uh, – they, they show one highlight of the Vince Young game, and then they show another highlight of the uh, – just just the thrilling end. It's just it wasn't for a national championship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, la- uh, well, last year, um, I think was the high point for, for the Tom Herman era. They lost that game 27-24 in overtime. Right. Yeah. Uh, that that to me is the high point because nobody expected him to be that competitive, and they they could have had a pretty good chance to win. Uh, but he told me this week he goes, you you never want to be happy with a loss, but it was I guess the proudest moment to be able to play them the way we were able to play them. Mm. And so that still lingers with him. So it lingers with the fans, I would think. I guess so that since since you brought since we went since we sort of got here with uh, the USC game. And I know you've been sort of digging around a little bit on this, Dennis. Mm-hmm. So I hope I'm not jumping the gun on this in terms of where you're at from your, um, from your digging. But is, do you see this USC job as one that is, I don't know, uh, on, is it a hot seat right now? Is it, where do you see the level of, of dissatisfaction right now with USC or where should it be? I know there's a big faction of fans that, don't like Clay Helton. And I, I don't know why. Is it because he's not Hollywood enough? Well, we've been gone to, gone down that road. Pete Carroll ain't coming through that door. And Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian were fired. So that ain't happening. Here's a guy that's been around 20 years. In his second, in his third year as a head coach, he's 22 and seven and has won a Rose Bowl and a Pac 12 title. So I don't know what you want. I think what USC fans want is a playoff berth. Well, they they haven't gotten it yet. You know, there are only four of those. Right. And they lost they lost big to Notre Dame last year, and that kept them out. It kept them out from further consideration. And put it that way. Uh, I called uh, I called our friend Barton uh, Ryan Abraham at the USC site twenty four seven yesterday and asked him, you know, help help me figure this out about Clay because everything I just said, you know, he shouldn't be under fire. And he said, "There's there's doom and gloomers." who want to be, you know, want to win every game and, and think they should be in it right now. And there's others that, uh, you know, every, every, everything's, the sun comes up and everything's sunny all the time. And there's no reconciling the two. But I think it's really unfair to damn Clay Helton for, and they find, oh, they find, oh boy, they find little things like, why didn't you hire this guy? And this guy doesn't have, you know, I, I forget, there's somebody on the staff who is a friend of a friend or something? Yeah, you know, what a, Neil what a, Callow- yeah, Neil Callaway, Neil Callaway, Callow- line coach. Yeah. yeah, so they so they get out on that. So, um, you know, so it's every little thing. But I I really like because it because it's already happened. I like USC's upside better than Texas. We look what they've done the last two years, and the season isn't over. Stanford's pretty good. JT Daniels is a freshman. They they're recruiting great. So I, I'm just – that's a quandary for me on Clay Helton. It frustrates me that Clay Helton would get knocked. And I, I saw one of the – during the Stanford game, I think it was circulating, that Clay Helton has never beaten a top 25 team without Sam Darnold. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, this guy's only been the head coach for like two and a half years. And one of his great calls as a coach was believing in Sam Darnold to put him out yes. there in the 2016 season where they end up finishing the year ranked in the top five. I saw I saw a criticism on the USC message board that said, "Well, Sam Darnold looks a lot better as a pro than he did in college." And I went, "Well, duh! I hope so. I hope he's better. Isn't that the point? 
Yeah. You know, they're just going to make a professional career out of this, you know, that you're coached up. Now, there are guys, there are guys that don't, but that's kind of the point. And that's out of USC's control, frankly. Uh, you got a chance to talk to Gary Patterson for a little bit. And um, certainly there in terms of the TCU schedule, I, I don't know if I don't think we always get uh, one of these big non-conference games. You know, sometimes TCU with its nine game Big 12 schedule, it, it has some favorable matchups during its three non-cons. But this is about as big as it gets for the Horn Frogs. You've got Ohio State coming, a semi-neutral site as it's going to be in Texas, though we all know Ohio State travels very well, particularly yes, at the place yes. where they just won the Cotton Bowl. So I, I wait, b- before we get to Ohio State in general, TCU is looking more and more uh, as as we've seen what we've seen from Texas and certainly we'll learn a lot more about Oklahoma State this weekend as they play Boise State. TCU to me is looking like the the only other challenger in the room that is going to be able to exchange haymakers with Oklahoma. You now, what sort of sense did you have from Gary Patterson about what he th- sees in his team for this year? I would add West Virginia to that list and we can talk about that or not, but I, I just think, I think they've got the ability to outscore anybody they play, which reminds me of 2017 Oklahoma. So, but that's another story, but you're right about, you're right about TCU. Uh, he's got a quarterback that everybody wanted, Sean Robinson. He's just getting started there as a starter. Uh, they played kind of a clunker against SMU. There was a weather delay. They fell behind, but eventually, um, overwhelmed them. I don't know if it's a good uh, a good matchup for TCU right now. In that traditionally and even now, they're they're built on speed, especially defensively. They're not going to beat you up. Uh, he's made a great career out of that, playing the stack three three five, which they don't anymore. But they, he still recruits guys that can run first, the, the hybrid safety linebacker guys. I don't think that matches up well with an Ohio State team that will um beat you up on both sides of the line um you know that that has nick bosa uh try to keep him out of the backfield he's he's going to be a, a concern so I, I don't think it's a good time for tcu to be playing this game that being said the fact that they are playing the game is uh is a great story in itself did you want me to tell that i'll tell it real quick yeah absolutely yeah this started this game came about in 2010 after uh, TCU won the Rose Bowl over uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, the high point in their hi- or modern history, perhaps. And I think it was Gordon Gee, who was then the pre- may had been the president then at Ohio State, who made the comment about remember the little sisters of the poor comment. You know, we don't need to have these little sisters of the poor around. And uh, Chris Del Conte, who was uh, the AD at TCU called Gene Smith, the AD at Ohio State, and said, all right, brother, let's put your money where your mouth is. In other words, let's talk about playing a series. Okay. So they they do a series. Uh, it's going to be played, uh, whatever it is, 2018, 19, maybe. Uh, well, it comes about that uh, I think Patterson at some point didn't want to play a home-and-home and they said, well, let's resolve this by playing a neutral side at Jerry World, and each team gets $5 million. And uh, and Gary said, yes, and this is in the advent of the playoff. He wanted to imitate Alabama, who plays one of these every year and has won every one since, since 2008, since they started playing him in, in 07. Um, and he said, yes, I want to be like Alabama and play one of these games to increase our schedule strength. So that's how this came about. Uh, a combination of Gordon Gee shooting off his mouth, you know, a series put together that kind of shrunk into this. And here we are at Jerry World with another great game. As we look at this game, um, you know, I wonder how, like, how convinced are you that Ohio State is for real? Based on, I mean, look, I, I, not that they're they're not frauds by any stretch of the imagination, but we also haven't really seen them against a, a legitimate, you know, opponent. Uh, Oregon State and Rutgers, arguably, yeah, the worst Power Five team <clears throat> in college football. What, how convinced are you? On Ohio State, it sounds like you feel like Ohio State is going to come in there and kind of steamroll TCU. Yeah. Um, is, is that is am I reading that right? Yeah, I, I'm convinced about Dwayne Haskins. Uh, a lot of people there thought in, in the middle of the JT Barrett era that he was going to be better, and 
it looks like he is certainly going to be more accurate. Got nine touchdown passes through two games. I think that, you know, obviously the talent level, um, Mike Weber, Paris Campbell, uh, Bosa, I mentioned, and the point that the, the SC, I'm sorry, the Big Ten East looks like it's not as good as it was. Ohio State was favored in the beginning. I think they should be favored now. Michigan, we still don't know about them. Uh, Penn State struggled with App State. Michigan State, that was not a good loss to uh, to Arizona State. So it looks like Ohio, it's Ohio State's division and, frankly, conference to uh, to win again. What about uh, around the country? Top, you wrote a piece recently um, on quarterbacks, multi-quarterback systems. Top three teams in the country, arguably, all playing two quarterbacks. Oh, wait. Are you talking about the article that quoted that Bozo Barton Simmons? <laughs> my go-to guy my go-to guy <laughs> that's right uh let's dig into that like you are, are do you think that this is gonna work uh do you think that there's a that, that this is a a path to to destruction here with uh with alabama and clemson and georgia all messing around with two quarterbacks where, where, where's where's your confidence level with this 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 game? I, I this started out with me okay, we've seen me thinking okay we've seen ten teams play two quarterbacks. We've even seen two teams play two quarterbacks winning a championship. Two thousand six Florida, nineteen ninety seven Ohio State with uh, Joe Germain and Stanley Johnson, but we've never seen the top three teams in the country right now each intentionally doing this basically to keep guys from leaving. Now it's a little bit different at each school, but they're already looking ahead to the future while chasing a championship. Now. I mean, I think the most, uh, the most interesting one is Alabama. If Tua plays this week against Ole Miss, what are we supposed to think? That'll give him three games. They'll have one left. Is he just going to play four games and, and sit out? Oh, you mean Jalen, uh, if Jalen plays. I'm sorry. Yeah. If, if Jay, did I say Tua? Yeah. yeah. I meant Jalen. Uh, I think that's some one of the biggest storylines of, uh, of week three, whether he appears against Ole Miss, because then we kind of know the strategy. If I'm Nick Saban, don't I want to save him for a possible, just for depth, for the SEC championship game, for the playoffs, if you're going to do that sort of thing? Or does he play four and then shut it down and go be, you know, goes to UCLA and starts there next year? So I, I don't know. I, I thought about this recently, and so it it seems as though like Nick Saban doesn't strike me as the type of guy that operates in the sense of hey, let's sit down, Jalen, let's figure out what's best for you in the long run. You know, let's let's hold you for four games. He yeah he. Nick yeah, Saban Jalen strikes- said that. Jalen basically said that. In right. And yeah. So so I think Nick Saban is a guy who's who's saying look. We're going to do what's best for the team, for this season, for this team. Mm-hmm. And that and, and you being about the team is going to be better for you in the long run just because it's going to be – I mean, just the byproduct of that is, is going to be positive for you. And, mm-hmm. and that's sort of his but, – but, but Nick Saban is not sitting down telling him, hey, you got four games. Let's, let's figure this out. So and, – and even if that was going to happen like that, he played last week in a game that they didn't need him against Arkansas no. State. That that showed his hand. Like this is yeah. not going to be a four game season for Jalen Hurts. No. Um, so, so, yeah. Go ahead. And, and and I think the other thing that, that fascinates me about this situation is I think you could see, like that I could make a case that given how good Ole Miss is on offense, given that Ole Miss is one of the few teams and probably in all of college football that could go score for score against Alabama. Mm-hmm. That and and they can and we've seen Ole Miss. In the past, be, be one of the teams that Nick Saban has had trouble with, and this is probably Ole Miss's best personnel they've ever had on offense, one through eleven. I think you could make a case that this could be a game where you could see Jalen Hurts start. You could see Jalen Hurts play more than Tua just in, in to sort of play ball control, you know, grind out possessions, limit Ole Miss possessions. You get one turnover and Ole Miss and getting the ball back type of deal. So, not that I expect that to happen, but it would. With knowing Nick Saban, it wouldn't shock me. So, I, I think that all that's to say is, I think Nick Saban is all in on this being two quarterbacks all the way through. Because screw us, media guys, we don't know what we're talking <laughs> about. And who? And who's to say? Think about this. Uh, who's to say Jalen plays 
this week in transfers because there are several schools in the Pac-12, for, just for one example, that haven't started school yet. I think somebody told me UCLA doesn't start till September 21st. I don't think I don't think Stanford started that that had to do with their attendance issue on Saturday against USC. He could go transfer, uh, you know, play three or four games at Alabama, sit out and, and come back next season uh, and, and still have that experience under his belt. So him transferring is not a question. still. well, but couldn't he also I mean, I might be wrong about his status, but couldn't he also play this year for Alabama? get his undergraduate degree in December transfer and then still be immediately be able to be somewhere oh, else yeah. for spring practice and be immediately eligible in the PAC 12 big 12 or anywhere else for yeah. the 2019 season. Yeah. it's a great transfer. My, my point is if, as if, as Barton says, if he plays that's three games to do that, he can only play appear in one more game this season. Um, uh, and and re- retain a year of eligibility, which is what we're talking about. He'd have two left if he did that. So we'll see. Do you think? So, Jay- uh, go ahead. Well, go ahead. Chip. I was just going to say. I mean, do, do you think that Jalen Hurts is going to be out here extending his eligibility as far as he can? I mean, is he does Jalen Hurts want to be a sixth year senior at another school somewhere? Are you asking me? I I, I don't know where their where their heads are at. Um, I- and he'd be yeah. he'd be a fit he'd be a fifth year senior because this would be his uh, he'd, he'd retain a year of eligibility either way. Well, he yeah he'd be a yeah he'd be a fifth year senior. Year. What do you think, I Barton? I don't. Well, I don't know what Jalen's motivation is. I don't know what Jalen's long term goal is. I don't know mm-hmm. how Jalen views himself in the big picture. But I do think that Jalen's made it very clear to us, and we should take him at his word that he's not transferring this year. Like I think right. he is. He has made it very clear. That whether he's a backup, whether he's a starter, whether he's a role player, he is he is going to be at Alabama for the remainder of this season. And I would and and just I don't know I don't know that he said this, but just in reading between the lines, I don't I don't think he would even approach Nick Saban about uh, we need let's let's limit this to four four games, coach. I don't think that that converse I I suspect that conversation is is probably dis- like the t- the tenor of that program discourages that conversation. Right, right. From the we're going all out. out. Yeah, we're going yeah, all like, out. Yeah, I agree with that. Like you want you want to do what? You want to yeah. you want to play four? What? Like we're yeah, about this that, year, man. Yeah. Get in or get out. You know. And yeah. so, um, I, that's sort of the way I see see that playing out. I I think the other one and and Dennis, I mean, you were at, at this game, so you can you may have some some added insight on this. But like, do you how do you think that the Clemson situation should or will play out throughout the rest of the season. I, I think they're, again, within the context of chasing a championship, they're getting Trevor ready to be the next quarterback because he's, you know, I think all indications are he's a three-year guy. So, you know, you, you got him there by saying this is what the situation is going to be. You're going to get meaningful playing time. That being said, for now, when it's winning time, it's Kelly Bryant. He played the last six possessions Saturday against A&M in the third and fourth quarters when they absolutely had to win, you know, had to make plays. And he did. He made enough plays. Uh, Trevor Lawrence had that great debut, 64-yard touchdown pass, but, you know, was not there in the last six possessions. So I, I think that's it. I think they're just grooming the kid, which is fascinating to me, you know, that they're and, – and they can do it with that schedule. I, I don't think you – Think, you probably noticed their schedule isn't very daunting, Clemson. Now that South Carolina's lost, I don't think they play another currently ranked team in the regular season. Yeah, but they've got that Texas A&M win, though. That's yeah. going to that's, that's help that. them yeah, when, when, they, uh, when they run into Syracuse or yeah. Boston College or whoever gets them. They've, they've got the one, uh, the one win they need. Yep. That's, that really – I mean, this schedule – if South Carolina isn't as good as we thought they were, if Duke doesn't have Daniel Jones, mm-hmm. if if Florida State continues to look like they look like, this schedule is disgusting. Yeah, like, yeah, this and they re- horrible. And if and if somebody, yeah, what did X, what did X do? What have they done? What's their schedule? If they want to argue that, I'm going to argue Clemson, because then to to make your point, you're going to have to go. Oh, well, they've been in two straight playoffs or three straight playoffs. Yeah. 
that's what that you know that 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 means something that counts to the committee we you see with the naked eye they're a really really good team but schedule strength which by the way uh barry uh, alvarez told me when i visited wisconsin last month he said that's the number one thing he goes yeah conference title blah 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 but he said schedule strength in the room is the number one thing in terms of, but that's just in terms of breaking the the team by team comparisons when they're just going by the profiles, trying to move them up and down and slot them, right? Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's still there's still a baseline. What they do. Yeah, what they do. Yeah. yeah, you still got to be able to be one of the. You still got to put yourself in a position that you're one of the seven teams oh, in the right. mix yeah. for one of the four spots. And any and any. Uh, any logical person would agree that Clemson is right because I think I think that it speaks to what Clemson has done that Clemson has elevated itself and I and last year was really the year that drove it home for me with Alabama and you know getting into the college football playoff mm-hmm. where it's a no I mean I just think they're looking around each other in that room and say who among us really believes that Alabama does not have one of the four best teams in the country. And it didn't matter yeah, I, yeah, that the Tide good. were bringing in one of their most banged-up rosters that they've ever had into a national championship game. The fact that they still went and won it is only going to be confirmation for the belief that if you look at Clemson and you believe that Clemson is one of the four best teams in the country because of who's out there and because of the what, the games that you've watched, then you're going to find ways to make the logical jumps to be able to figure out a way to get them into the playoff. I, I remember writing that uh, last year, like, it wouldn't it, when when we, there was still a discussion. I remember writing it wouldn't be a credible playoff without Alabama. We can have all these other discussions and power rankings and schedule. We've all seen them play. It wouldn't be a credible playoff without Alabama. So, do you think that Clemson and Alabama have are at that point again? We have an entire season of and, football. And, no, I know, and Georgia, and, and Georgia. Yes, because now I've become convinced in week three that I, I definitely think Alabama and Georgia can both get in because if they're both sitting there, you know, undefeated in the SEC champ game, are you really going to leave the loser out for no. a 12-1 Washington or a 12-1 Oklahoma, which, you know, um, just lost Rodney Anderson? I don't even know if Oklahoma can get there at 12-1, so we'll see. I think that Ohio State has an opportunity against TCU – at least in terms of perception, to be able to add itself to that list, such that we are coming out of week three saying, I don't, I don't know who's going to end up there, but there are four teams that appear to have elevated themselves among the rest. I, I don't there, think there's any question. There's no doubt Ohio State is is playing to get underneath Dennis's napkin. Dennis's national championship. That's napkin. right. That's weekend. right. My napkin. Yes. Put a napkin over him. <laughs> I mean, I think Ohio State and and, and 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 probably Oklahoma too. I mean, would those be Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and I think Oklahoma are those the are those the potential napkin napkin uh, uh, napkin teams? Or is there is there it would you know maybe Auburn is planning to get into that napkin? Um, uh, Wisconsin, if they if they win a, a a one a one game one game against Ohio State, that's all they'd have to do. Yeah. Uh, and they almost did it last year, so I, w- I would put Wisconsin there. And they're getting Danny Davis back. I just read, so I think that's huge for a team that, frankly, was going to throw it a little bit more this year. We still don't know about Quintez Cephas. I know he had a court date yesterday. Oh, yeah, and it's a huge one. I think the judge, depending on when we record this, the judge is in the process process of deciding whether. You know, to bind to bind this over for trial. You know, it's like either he was going to walk. I think or, I saw he's going to trial. Yeah. So, well, that's that's bad for him. I'm not going to make yep. it uh, mm. judgment on the case itself. But go ahead. Yeah. 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 That's tough. I I I came in. I made Wisconsin a playoff pick, and I have yet to feel like I'm I'm walking out of a Saturday or a weekend uh, truly enthused about the idea that Wisconsin's going to be able to pull this off. And with each of any, and this again, Barton, you had this quote, like it's just what Ohio state does when they go mm-hmm. up against inferior competition, but I can't help it. I mean, I'm human. I see the fireworks and I said, wow, you know, and Wisconsin sometimes, you know, spinning its wheels for a half or two. And mm-hmm. then Jonathan Taylor gets rolling. I mean, this, if, if this comes down to, you know, selection committee trying to split hairs, Ohio state's got more style points on the board. That's for sure. 
Yeah, we thought that last year, and then Wisconsin drugged them down in the mud a little bit, and you know, within uh, six points with a minute and a half to go. I don't, I, I don't know if they had the ball or not, but no, I, I agree with everything you said. All right, so we've uh, we've hit TCU, Texas, Texas A and M. Uh, haven't talked to you since you went to Notre Dame. That was obviously a very very big win for Notre Dame. Uh, Brandon Wimbush not great in his follow up performance with three no. interceptions against Ball State. What's your feeling on the Irish? a team that we have yet to really uh, see how they factor into the college football playoff at the end of the year, though they do always seem to be hovering around the top four spots at some point during the selection committee uh, ranking reveal season. Yeah, they've got, they've got the defense, and obviously they've got the schedule to get to the playoff. It's not a question of schedule strength. I, you know, I, I really lost a little bit of faith at the Ball State game, but I did it. I did expect a letdown after Michigan. They put everything into that game and and uh, created so many questions for Jim Harbaugh after that. But yeah, Brandon Wimbush, I think, yeah, it does not have a rushing touchdown yet. He had 14 in the first 10 games of last year. Uh, they were going to use his his feet more judiciously this year, and that frankly, they have to. But you're, you're not going to run him all over the place against Ball State. you got to preserve him for bigger games. And if he just becomes – I think it was – what was it against Michigan? 12 of 22 for 170 yards. I think that was it with no turnovers. If you just do that, I, I think that's a net win out of Brandon Wimbush. Now, then he throws three touchdowns, three interceptions against Ball State, and you don't know where they are. And they, they face a, a quality defense in, uh, in Vanderbilt this week, so we'll see which way it goes. But I, I think they're, they're an outside playoff contender. Barton, what do you think? Yeah, I, 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 Notre Dame looked this past weekend like I expected them to look in week one. Yeah. And I yeah. think that Brandon Wimbush throwing a couple bombs in the first quarter sort of skewed – what he re- our, our perception of what he really is yeah and I, I think he's a lot closer to what he was last year than what he looked like in the first quarter and and that I think limits the seal on another name they've got a chance to beat everybody on their schedule I just don't see them being a legitimate playoff contender but we'll see you know they, they're, they, they're, they, they're a 10 they're a 10 and 2 team to me which is right fine. Yeah. right right I agree All right, guys, thank you very much. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at DennisBoutCBS. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure that you are subscribed. Coming up next, it's going to be the locks.